Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Chasing Tales podcast, where we talk all things outdoors with one simple goal, to motivate you to get into the great outdoors. My name is Walt. I'm joined by Chase Dude. As we sit today, we are no longer counting down the months to deer season. It is only a few short weeks away from the bow openers in our in our uh, areas, man. I, are you losing sleep yet? <laughs> No, I'm not losing sleep. Uh, I know for a fact that I'm at 25 days, 9 hours, 34 minutes, 54 seconds <laughs> uh, <laughs> away from deer season. Uh, oh, once I, I'll start losing sleep once it gets closer to season and I start catching uh, deer on camera that I know I want to go after, that's when I'll probably start losing some sleep. But as for right now, uh, I've just been kind of hitting the ground, uh, scouting a new area. Um, that I'm going to be hunting this season. Been spending a lot of time there, just getting a lay of the land. Been scouting with a buddy of mine. We're we're going to tackle it together uh, this year, which ought to be fun. Uh, he's hunted it in the past, so I figured I'd go out there and it'd just be good to uh, hunt with him. He's one of my uh, real good work buddies, um, and we used to hunt together in the past. So kind of looking forward to that. And I was out shooting my bow today. I'd got some new arrows that I was trying out, and of course I've already uh blown up like two knocks from from hitting them so uh, i was kind of <laughs> upset about that i'm like geez man what the heck but uh, i guess that's a good thing <laughs> for for my shooting but uh, just trying to get everything kind of dialed in and uh, ready to hit the ground running in 25 days what have you that's been it, doing Your, yours is even sooner so you should yeah. really be excited I am. I am. I'm sitting at 12 days away from when I'm going to get into the whitetail woods, and I'm pretty friggin' amped about that. So I've uh, been doing a lot of scouting, gotten on some really good deer sign here lately, starting to feel starting to feel like, you know, maybe, maybe this could be a really good year. So uh, the good news is this is the first time that I feel like I have a genuine plan and backup plan and backup plan to the backup plan, and they're not all just like shots in the dark. I feel like you know, through the podcast and talking to people and you helping me and other people, you know, volunteering information, I really started to hone in on what could be a really good pattern for this area. And uh, part of what made that pattern possible is the use of trail cameras, which is tonight's main topic. We're talking trail cameras with the one and only Byron Horton. And if you don't know who that is, he's a dear friend of the podcast. He was one of the first guests that we had uh, on the, on the show way back in 2017 when we started, which is just ridiculous to even that that's a different topic for another day but uh you know he, he he made a repeat appearance but this time we kind of broke down 
the videos that he's done on trail cameras, their application, why he started to use them. Um, and, and I think people are going to come away with this. And I hope they do with a different take on the use of trail cameras. And I hope that they go watch his videos because, you know, we summarize here in an hour and about, about an hour and 20 minutes what uh, he said through a multitude of videos. And I think the dialogue was rich. And I think uh, a, a lot of people might uh, come away feeling a little differently about their, their role in the Whitetail Woods. Right. I mean, I thought it was uh, it's going to be a great episode for everybody. Uh, I feel like he, he hammered home some key points on if you're going to be going out to just put a trail camera out, maybe that you need to add more to your arsenal just to get more uh, bang for your buck and maybe think about uh, the cost of trail cameras and also to think about how they can help you maybe uh, in the summer, how they can help you throughout the season. Uh, we talked about historical data. I mean, we hit a ton of uh, good points on trail cams that I don't think we've kind of uh, discussed before on the podcast. So I hope it kind of makes people think about that more and hopefully it'll get them out there uh in the woods more to not to you maybe just use it as a tool because that's what a trail camera is but don't kind of let it get in the way of your scouting uh, that you would normally do and byron kind of mentioned that too yep absolutely and i'm not going to belabor a point because we just we spend a lot of time talking about all of these but i do want to know uh one important thing chase and we we got a a listener who sent us a message his name's John, and he said, really like the podcast, the Quota Hunt one, which is the one from last week, was fantastic. But what happened to the intro music? My daughters listen to me on my drives, and they want to know what happened to the, get this, Hee Haw podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, John, we're going we're gonna to cut to the podcast here, but turn the mic up. This is for your daughters who ride with you and listen to the podcast. We're going to throw the old intro in here for you, and uh, yeah, I hope they enjoy. Yep. Let's get on to the episode. All right, we have got... The man, the myth, the legend, Byron Horton. Dude, what's going on? Hey, Walt. How's it going, man? I'm excited. Uh, season is you know, essentially two weekends away from me at this point. And, uh, <laughs> I'm shooting the bow more. I'm, I'm doing a little more scouting. Trail cams are, are starting to roll in. It is a good time of year. Yeah, man. Yeah. So you've been on the podcast numerous times. However, this is the first time that you join us with a special title, and that's podcast host, dude. You've got your own podcast now. What's good? <laughs> Maybe that is a selfish way to talk to better <laughs> hunters than myself and ask personal <laughs> questions. <laughs> podcast is loose, I would say. I don't think that's my main delivery. I have by no means claim to, to be an expert in that realm. But, uh, yeah, just a small podcast, and it is – it is kind of nice to to talk to some guys and ask personal questions that will better my deer hunting. And I think that's a huge plus there. And then, dude, sometimes I'd have conversations with Dave that I'm like, you know, we should have recorded that. That was a pretty good conversation. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I'm, I'm thrilled that you started doing a podcast. I think you and I have kind of talked about it off and on for a while. And, I, you know, kind of COVID, I think, kind of pushed you into that. It gave you 
uh, maybe a little more free time, you know, cut down on that commute. And I'm glad you did because for me, I hear a very goal-driven host with you. I know that probably irks uh, uh, Dave a little bit because he likes to, you know, BS and, and, and be a little more loose with it. But whenever I listen to your podcast, I'm always thinking, okay, he is going to hit four or five really solid points in this narrow window of time, and it's all going to be, you know, zingers. So it, you're killing it, dude. Yeah, thanks. And, and and like I said, that is not my main delivery. Like, I know you guys are in the pro world of what I call, <laughs> like, the podcasters and, and definitely in that early adaption stage as far as you guys got in there and uh, it, it's more of a, you know, it's it's not our key deliverable, but it's a nice add to, to what we got going on. Just like you, you're doing with YouTube, you know, the, the YouTube side of, of Chasing Tales is is kind of that growing segment and a good add to the brand. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, along the line of YouTube, you have done a series of videos recently, and you and I have had some really interesting discussions recently. And the gist of this podcast, the backbone of this podcast is going to be trail cameras. That's going to be the discussion piece here. And I think uh, if you guys, you know, you're hearing trail cameras, there's probably a dozen or more trail camera episodes that have dropped this month because we're this close to deer season. But I have a feeling we're going to be coming at this from a unique angle that you probably haven't heard before. So stick with us. I think this is really, really going to be worth your while. Um, Byron, you come from a standpoint, both you and I, this is the first year that you and I have really started to press into trail camera usage. Um, Kind of set the stage for us. Why weren't you reliant or, mm, let's say, overly enthusiastic about using trail cameras in your approach? Yeah, I think it stems from kind of a few things. And obviously, when the trail cameras... I, I can remember having, you know, my first Remington Ghost. It was like $120, ran on C batteries, worked for about seven to you know, seven to 14 days. And then it was like they kind of morphed into the double A's, became more effective. And so I, so at that point, you know, that is, I'm 20 to, 20 to 22. And I might have had two or three working cameras that kind of worked and sometimes didn't work and that sometimes would work. And so, like, that was kind of the mark I probably stayed at for uh, the better part of the, the like, if, if we look at the last 10 years as, as my bow hunting, I had always had, like, three or four cameras, and um, I chose to invest my money and say better better mobile gear, boots, um, a better pack, you know, I and I developed I, probably my ability to read sign and scout a lot in the off-season was, was where I was devoting my time, my resources, my my money um and really it wasn't until about two years ago i was like okay i'm gonna take the plunge i'm gonna invest in a little better camera quality kind of around the uh i i started running a bunch of exodus treks around that you know hundred ish dollar mark when you find them on sale mm-hmm. maybe 125 on, on some of their special sales so that you know that camera and then i had a few stealth cams but I jumped up into running about eight trail cameras two years ago. Um, and then obviously Zoe kind of jumped on board. Who's another guy that does some hunting on the whitetail experience. And he bought like three or four. So, and, and Zoe and I tend to hunt um, some more similar pieces than, than even say Dave. Um, Dave and Andy kind of tackle some pieces a little more together. They've been on those pieces a long time. It's, it's, you know, I just don't want to hunt that because I, I do kind of feel like I'm stepping on their honey holes or their toes. And so, you know, I kind of have some pieces that I hunt solo and with Zoe. And so two years ago, you know, I was running about 
10 to 12 cams with Zoe. And then this year I, I've invested more in that, uh, anywhere from 55 to, to $85 cams. I, I, I'm now running about 20 cams and Zoe's got about eight. And, and so that's kind of the number I've ended up at. And I'm just, I looked at my, my, a hole in the bucket as a whitetail hunter and i thought trail cams were an area i could maybe look to improve on because i i think i've developed some other skills instead of those yeah yeah so what would you would you say that you've been hindered or do you feel like you've been hindered by a lack of 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 you know being one of those guys that's got like 20 to 30 cams out there and you just know everything that crawls. I mean, you, you, you've had some good success. Do you feel like you, you, you've missed out or is this just, you know, diving into trail cameras is going to just add to what you're already doing. So I think a little bit of both, like I definitely think I've, I missed out because there for a couple of years, like I remember dude, there was a, a fall. I didn't run cameras anywhere. Like, mm-hmm. and, 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 it one I realized too it's a it's a nice confidence boost getting a good picture of a public land buck. Um, that you know that kind of uh, it's it's a visual sighting, <laughs> right? Um, you you know so so a confidence boost and and I felt like I had developed some skills as far as the ability to read sign, hunt hard, do a lot of scouting um, in the off season to kind of have blueprints of these public pieces and so you know proof of life sometimes is half the battle and then to be honest too, running around with some of the, um, Oh, the whitetail addiction guys, like kind of just talking to them there. A lot of those guys are hunting a super high caliber buck, but one of the biggest battles they all face is finding him. And, and, and trail cameras were a tool that they were utilizing to, to literally locate a buck of caliber. And then it's like, okay, maybe figure out access. Maybe I have the access, maybe, you know, and, and so I was just subtracting inches to what a shooter was for me and realized I, I, I could probably use some, some, um, you know, use this as a tool in my arsenal to better and, and improve upon. Right. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's interesting to me what you mentioned with the, the confidence boost that, that it brings. One of the things that I was, I was talking to my buddy about why I've been trying to dive into trail cameras is because, you know, if you're a weekend warrior, like you and I, it's one of those things where when you get a deer on camera, A, you, you you know there's something in there worth pursuing. And I, I did a long soak on a trail camera last year. It sat there for three months. It got gobs and gobs of photos. And I learned a lot. And when I really started, like, thinking, what did I learn? Like, what kind of learning experience did that camera provide me? I started thinking about how many times I would have had to sit that spot. Right to obtain the same knowledge during daylight hours only. How many times would I have had to sit there? Well, it sat there for three months. Three months is ninety days. How many? How many seasons would go by for the weekend warrior getting you know twelve twelve days a month? You know that's Saturday and Sunday four times, or that's eight rather. You know uh, eight hunts a month times three. When you start looking at it, suddenly it's like you know you got three years worth of sitting in one spot every opportunity that you had. And, yeah. and go ahead and undisturbed data, you know, like you know, undisturbed, you're right. Hunting or scouting, you're definitely going to lay down some sort of disturbance. I mean, I think deer, especially in Florida, I would believe, you know, they might be a little more wired than, um, than even deer I'm hunting. So, so they, they may pick up on your presence if you would hunt that literally that area, uh, all the time, you know, exactly, exactly. And it's about as 
unadulterated. Um, there's a there's a, a phrase in physics where it's like the observation or the observer effect, and that is basically to 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 witness something is to alter its state even to the tiniest degree. And if you, you know, carry that over to hunting, then, you know, to, to simply be in the woods is to disturb the woods. You've, you've walked, you've sweated, you've farted, you, you know, you've, you, you've left a, a, an unnatural uh, presence there. But I think if you snip, if you slip in there and you hang a camera and you slip back out and you don't come back for three months, I mean, I think that's like the, uh, the most minimal effect that you could have on an area and still say, okay, I don't feel like I, I changed their patterns by being there. Um, so, you know, Kind of keep that in your mind as you're listening to this episode. Is a twenty-five, thirty, forty, hundred-dollar camera is it worth it? Well, if it sits in one place for three months and it's a productive three months, which is where we're going to go with this discussion in a little bit, I really feel like you can really start to increase your understanding of the area. Um, I think it can be a real, real big asset. But kind of feeding into the the, the cost component of this. You did an excellent video, I thought. It really kind of opened my eyes into the true cost of trail cameras, which is something that I don't think a lot of people consider. And I'd kind of like you to maybe outline that video for everybody and kind of what did you, what were you seeking to uh, show people? So, so I guess one, I am like a, a financial accounting type like guy. But I obviously chose to to look at, at trail cameras, and I was trying to look at a little bit more budget-friendly cameras this year. And the reason being is I feel like on public land, dude, there were some pulls last year where we were like 50%, where what I mean by 50% is literally if I put out six cameras, only three of those essentially worked. And, and a lot of that is because of the uh, elevated sets. We put these cameras up in the air and angle them down, and it just seems like – it's easier to mess up that angle. It's it, I, I literally just pulled a trail camera on Sunday that had been soaking since June. The day after I left it, a branch blew in front of it and just filled the SD card in four days on, on cause I had it set to a three shot burst and literally no, no, no information, zero picks of deer, just a leaf and a stick. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I've almost turned into a volume shooter at, at this point with the trail cams. Like if I go to a piece or if I even step out of my vehicle, I'm like, dude, if I can get two out instead of one, like I know, okay, I might fail 50% of the time. And so with that video, like I was looking at what's the true cost. If I, if I drive to a piece and literally put out one $55 camera and, and just looked at, okay, there's, there's batteries involved. What's the, what's the, you know, couple dollars there in batteries what sd card you kind of need two of those okay what's that cost total out to be uh the gas to get there okay if you're putting out one camera it's a it's a oh uh i think i used like 50 some miles um so you know 100 miles in gas to put out one camera and, and what's that look like so so yeah i just i kind of wanted to to look at it and it made it at the end bottom line i, I think uh if they want to go to that video I can give some ballpark figures. I don't have the stats sure. in front of me, but it's like a $55 camera just to go out, swap an SD card before fall and, and essentially have that thing in hunting mode come, let's call it October with one kind of card swap there in August. I think it was like, it costs you 90 some dollars to run that one camera for fall. Mm. Um, that's obviously raw purchase. 
Um, and then later in the video, like I break it down to, let's say you don't need to buy a new body, a new camera body. You know, you, you've got working cameras, you've got reliable ones. And so every year you're just, you know, tossing in some new batteries. You don't have the SD card purchase. How, how much more affordable are they running? And honestly, it makes sense to me based on that video. One, uh, if you step out of the vehicle, hang a bunch of cameras, um, <laughs> two, reliability becomes a, a bigger factor because if the $55 camera only lasts you one year, but like say a 75 to a hundred dollar camera lasts you multiple years, it's, it's, it's a no brainer. That's the kind of the route to go. And, and you know what, to be honest, maybe there's a little bit of both in the arsenal. Cause I could say also you need some of those 30, $40 cameras and scatter the woods, but also have some, some workhorses in case you maybe catch a, a giant. Hmm. Right. Would you ever consider, did you ever consider the cameras if they were stolen or not? Um, so I've lost, yeah, like I, in that video, like I don't go through losing a trail camera cost. Um, that's, that's not there, but last year I think I lost two or three as a team. Really? Me and um, and, and, you know, let's call it, we were running 15 between me, Dave and, eight, or, and Zoe. Um, maybe 16, 17, but yeah, we lost three and, um, we, we lost two in areas we know big bucks were in. So, so there might be a correlation there. (laughs) Like, like no doubt. No, there were big bucks there. Like, um, trail cam picks, sheds, uh, visuals. I I think you kind of touch on that a little bit in that video though. Um, because you, you touched on if, if the camera fails, on the cheaper scale. So you kind of, you kind of see that in there as well. You know, if you have one or two cameras fail because you went cheap, then you incur these costs again next year. What was remarkable was that initial like investment. Like it was very expensive to run those cameras the first year. And it really got me thinking like, dude, these Tascos that we have, I mean, Chase, how many Tascos have you had fail you? Uh, Well, I've only had one fail me and I've, bought a bunch this year but that one failed me so (laughs) okay well he's got 100 percent fail rate not have enough to really collect data right right for me i'll know more this year yeah yeah for me i i've still got uh well i gave one away but i i had two that that ran me a full season without any issue you know i've got uh five of the 25 dollar simmons cameras for this year and you know, <clears throat> if I can get a year, if I can get two or three years out of them, I really come out ahead. But if I don't, <laughs> you know, it, it, that that spreadsheet you put together kind of had me sitting there thinking, huh, I could really be throwing away a lot of money um, moving forward. Yeah, yeah. Cause, yeah. You know, when you lose a camera and we run mounts, um, so there's an extra anywhere five to fifteen dollars right. to, to mount a trail camera high. Um, but. I, we've had so many sticks fail. It's like, that's almost worse. Um, <laughs> right. You know, like can you, you, you literally lost your gas. Uh, if you drive to the place that the trail camera, the stick fell over and it didn't take pictures of the right area. It's right. like, and it's, um, but yeah, yeah, it's, that's true. Well, the one thing about, I can say about the Tascos though, now is they have a, you can buy like a $3 uh, insurance policy. I would call it. And oh, that no camera is supposed to last for three years. Yeah, no brain. Wow. So that in itself, you're like, okay, this camera's probably going to crap out within three years, but I'm going to get another one 
uh, for free in three years if I pay the extra three dollars. Nice. Yeah, a dollar a year for insurance on that one. That is. Yeah. <laughs> that... Yeah. And I, well, I know you did a video on the Sims. Uh, yep. And I had a Sims rangefinder that honestly I I liked for a couple years. Um, so I will be interested to see how those run after just one. Really, after one full year, say six months of timber time, you you should kind of have a gauge. Yeah. Well, and and. I've got it. You you mentioned the rangefinder. My Simmons rangefinder dude is going on like year. I don't know, like five or six. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't have any topography or any need to like you know have angle third axis moon alignment. You know, in my camera. I mean, I'm my, my rangefinder, but um, I can't bring myself to get rid of it. And I'm hoping I'll feel the same way about these cameras. I'm I'm going to put one on a a feeder that's got several deer and hogs on it, and my goal is to simply wear the thing out the feeder is going to have corn in it year round because we're trying to catch some some hogs there so you know i'm thinking it could have anywhere from four to five thousand pictures a month on this thing uh with with all the activity that's on there so we're going to have a true real world test and some people have asked that uh um i run it in conjunction with my stealth cameras as well and kind of do like a side by side there like photo quality versus um you know um you know, t- number of photos and, and, and response time, all of that. So there could be some fun things in the works. But let, let me ask you this. Why do you run the, the, the little mounting brackets? Is that to make it harder to find the find the trail camera or? Honestly, it's just like, so So obviously when you mount those cameras high, sometimes you, to, to get, and we, we, you know, we spend some time getting those angles correct as far as, especially if you got two guys, one guy's up there on the mountain, the other guy says, move it half an inch left centimeter down Mm -hmm. because when you elevate those trail cams, the, um, the angle uh, of, of detection is is not as good as if you were say hip, hip or belt level and you're shooting down a trail and you got a little more room for air. The, the the body of the deer is moving right at the sensory level of the camera. Um, you know, that the, the, the mounting systems, you know, I've got, it's, it's Hawk makes one HME makes Mm -hmm. one. Um, they both have holes in the game. I actually think I like, I, I, I've got a video out there that the HME is uglier, but it seems to work a little better. But at the same time, you can, you can take the Hawk and screw it, you know, screw it into a tree or whatever, and then place the camera. It's got like an adapter piece, which makes it nice. But like the stick and pick, even though it's like double the price or or triple the price, if you find those on sale, like definitely buy them then because they're, they're the Cadillac as far as, Hmm. you know, mounting system. Interesting. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's just when we find odd angles, um, you're, you know, when you elevate sets in farm country, mm-hmm. you're like poking, the, like this camera's got to poke through like branches and limbs sometimes. <laughs> yeah. like, you may mount it to a horizontal branch. It, it's a much more, it's a trickier game and, and there's more people hunting public land. And, and obviously with COVID, there's, there's a lot more people in the woods right now. So wrapping up that video that you did on the true cost of cameras, what was your ultimate takeaway after you looked at all that? Did it change anything that you, that you thought about trail cameras? Um, me personally, just, uh, the, the, the longevity is key as far as, you know, if, if they work for multiple years, that's huge. Um, and then if you go and drive to a piece, it's like, dude, especially on the, the, the main public that I hunt, it's like, get as many out as you can because your gas is going to get spread out. Um, and, and just with our failure rate, like the price, yeah, 
it's that that to me was kind of kind of the big takeaway um and it's almost eyeball shocking how expensive it is to run them effectively for one year if you got to buy them too i mean <laughs> that number gets up there <laughs> right but i mean killing a buck would is priceless so <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're not wrong <laughs> well I- oh i I just i have to think that if you if you're running cameras the the smart efficient way um it's it's gonna pay dividends for you in the long run i mean it it, i've got several spots where i think about all year long i had bucks on daylight in daylight rather you know good like would turn head florida bucks and I can't wait to get in those spots. And when I get there, I'm not coming down. <laughs> you know, like I, I'm going in there on the right wind in the right area. And I think staying longer is going to help. You know, I, public land is an animal. So I'm curious, what are you trying? What kind of um, do, do you prioritize picture quality over just getting the photo? It, w- w- what are you trying to do with your with your uh, trail cameras? Um, yeah, there, there is, is starting to be. Um... There is like a, a, a performance level that I kind of I, I need as a base. Dave pointed it out because I sent him a couple pics of some farm country bucks, and like there was there was a stealth cam that that flipped over and somehow caught a shooter. But like, yeah, that was cool. <laughs> you know, it was one of those things that like it was pretty blurry. And if that deer is like a touch further, like you may say, oh no, and this is just for me, like that buck could have been a hundred inches or, or 130. That camera doesn't necessarily distinct a difference at, at any sort of range. Um, I've noticed with a browning of mine that I've been, that I kind of purchased off of Amazon at the $70 mark takes phenomenal um, daytime images. Like some of the, the best, they could definitely hang, hang with uh, uh, kind of the Exodus track, but you turn it to night mode and you kind of need that camera just on a trail relatively close. It seems to struggle at night and definitely seems to struggle to reach um, at a distance with its, its night f- photos and they, their touch blurrier. It's, it definitely is a lack, um, is a lack there. But at the same time, I really like a couple other features on that camera. Super easy to set up, great menu of the screen. Like, like I, I definitely think some of these other factors go into – uh, a performance, not just a quality of a photo. I'm, um, I'll know, I'll have to do a pretty good test of about five, six camera models here in the next four or five months. Interesting. Right. And I know the, the Brownings, cause I've got some Brownings. Uh, the battery life is awesome on those cameras. So, I mean, they seem to last the entire season, even if you're getting a ton of pictures. Chase, I've heard nothing but great things about Brownings, and I bought the – I think it's the Black Ops model. It is their super cheap camera on Amazon. I, I don't think people should hear this podcast because I, I, I feel like if you buy, like, the $90, $100 Brownings, I feel like, Chase, can you speak to that, that those are those are pretty nice cameras? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're nice. I've, I had a couple there. Oh, man, I bought them. It's probably been seven, eight years ago, but they were the, the high, they were like the, in the 150 range then, but I don't know what they are now. They probably have gone down a little bit uh, since it was seven or eight years ago, but uh, yeah, they were, they were great cameras. Um, like, like you mentioned, they took like super quality daytime pics. Uh, maybe some of the nighttime stuff, you, like you said, there may have been more to be desired there, 
um, just wasn't as good uh, at the nighttime. But, yeah, I've, I've had nothing but uh, good luck with the Browning cams. Mm-hmm. I, you know, that's, I think, the one trail camera that I don't have any experience with, you know, like genuine seeing photos from and everything. The, the one I was most impressed were – uh, impressed from if you don't go like knockoff because Chase you and I've talked about our favorite camera in that regard but um, I don't know if y'all remember but those those Bushnell trophy cams that came out about eight no six seven years ago they're kind of outdated now but dude they took ridiculously good daytime photos pretty dadgum good uh, nighttime photos but I mean like you could see hairs on the deer in the sunlight it was unreal blew my mind and you could get them Back then, for like 150 bucks, I think I saw them at, at, on on um, Amazon for like 60 bucks now, and I, I've oftentimes thought about buying more of them. Nice. Yeah. Is that the? Is it like a smaller gray body? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think I had one of those, and I actually do remember I ran it in the big woods one year, and uh, I can remember some good nighttime performance out of that camera on on a buck, and you could kind of visibly see what his what what his rack was really looking like at a pretty good distance and, and remember i was pretty happy with that cam i might have got stolen <laughs> i don't know where it is i can't think of where it is and i'm like i, I know i pulled it from that piece i know what year i pulled it from that piece. <laughs> it was in that area with the big bucks again <laughs> yeah well that, that, that was a big wood section that all, you know you get a picture of a giant but you'd also go there a lot and not see any deer yeah <laughs> well chase I, i've done a lot of talking what 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 are your thoughts thus far have i, have I missed anything that we wanted to to, to hit on no I, I think you've hit on uh quite a bit of that stuff and like, like you were mentioning with the like true cost of cameras and <laughs> things like that uh I watched that video, but like Byron mentioned, it wasn't really the only really cost I ever kind of considered before was like just the initial cost of the camera. Right. Like I never figured in, okay, I'm driving out to go check these cameras and the cost of the batteries and the SD cards and all yeah, that so going in SD there. Cards, you know, you start to look at $10, you know, they're roughly four to $5 a piece, kind of depending what you buy. Um, I would never, I would, you see all the time those those SD cards that come with the cameras. Mm -hmm. I have heard nothing but bad things about the muddy one. I have snapped both my spy point ones because I I just feel like they're, they're, they're part of my issue with with that camera in particular. Um, Hmm. Right. Yeah. I I think you need a good quality one. Yeah, you definitely do. And, and, and the bundle prices aren't bad on those. And I, you know, I run a lot of 16s just because I think I can get a good amount of photos on them and, hopefully just switch them to video um for for kind of that october 15th time frame on the scrapes yeah uh i i don't know about you uh you run, well, actually i do know you run an iphone um one of the best things you can do is buy the iphone brand dongle sd card reader uh every sd card reader i've ever bought has gone to crap in the in the, in the span of like a month or two but this one i've got from apple it's only 25 bucks it never quits working. Yeah, I actually went and bought one after you did uh, kind of showed me that. Or yeah. After texting, um, I will agree. From the one day that I really utilized it, um, it seemed like a pretty slick tool to throw in your bag if you're going to walk by a camera and be sitting in a tree stand in that area, yeah. kind of thing like that. That has a lot of use to, to, to me, and I need to actually play with that as far as being able to view those photos at a little bit bigger um, 
size because that was my only thing I, mm-hmm. I only played with it one day and so like you like click which ones you want to import but they're kind of like smaller um on the viewing screen and i couldn't see all the time and I, I had a bunch of false triggers and i really didn't want to go through them there <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what you need is an ipad see the, the purchases just keep rolling you need an ipad and then... <laughs> 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 he doesn't sound sold does he chase <laughs> Uh, if it's a big enough buck, he might be. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Shooting a big buck's priceless. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just don't tell your wives or girlfriends. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you did a video on breaking apart a, a block of timber. You and Zoe went in here, and you kind of blitzed the area, from what I can recall, with cameras. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of... How did you select this piece? Um, how many cameras did you put out? And what were the results that you got from that? Yeah, like I, I you know, and, and part of that video is, is kind of the whitetail experience to the core, which um, I was tricked by the industry back in the day. And, you know, you see a lot of TV shows from the mid 2000s and you, you just see trail cam pics and a guy shoots a buck. And you kind of don't know some of the statistics or, or, or what really did. Or let's be real, that guy, that guy probably had a 20 year old. Um, dude working at the outfitter as an intern that, that scouted, you know, those trail cam picks <laughs> for him. But, um, you know, so, so that block of t- timber, or I, I would call that a farm country public um, piece. And, and the, that, the, the video here, I'm going to, I'm going to say that might've been a few pieces. I, I, I kind of, I want to be a little elusive there, but basically from, from the results there, we blitzed this public uh, hanging trail cameras Zoe and I actually hung trail camp separately um, back in May, June time frame. And people will be like, oh, I don't get my cams out till July 4th. But I'll be honest, dude, like my summer gets away from me. I was, you know, I had a baby coming in June. So I was looking to get my stuff done early, um, early this year. And, you know, people uh, just get busy these days. So I feel like if you do have a weekend, get that stuff done. I'm a big proponent of that. Um, so, yeah, we, we scattered. I think 10 or 11 cams um, back in May, June. And then we recently, oh, here early August, two weeks ago, I want to say, uh, went and pulled those cameras. Uh, we got to nine of them. We didn't get to all of them. We, um, and, and as a result of that, um, we learned a lot of things. Um, we ran some trail cameras on beams. And, and to be honest, you get a lot of open air movement and those beans almost act like waves in the ocean. And they do create a lot of false triggers, especially in the sunlight. I, I feel like between 10 and two. So on a couple of those cameras, like it just became apparent that we should look for, you know, sunrise, sunset photos and dark, you know, overnight photos. Um, you know, we ran a couple of those cameras on, um, field edge scrapes that we've scouted in the off season that we're like, you, you know, we, we know this last couple of years, there's been a scrape sure enough. That scrape produced a shooter. Like, um, the buck literally came through and did a loop on that, that, that scrape and, um, had really good luck running trail cams on Creek crossings. Um, that seems to be, a, a, uh, I, I almost will go to that. I think a little more, cause I get a lot less false triggers on that. Um, trying to do some mock scrape stuff there. I, I've tried a little more of that in the big woods than necessarily farm country, just cause farm country, you can play that bean game a lot easier. And uh, bottom line, um, we have located, I think, is it four bucks? Might be five bucks, four or five bucks out of those, those nine trail cams and only one real true failure. 
Um, and the, even that failure was the one that flipped over and, and caught the <laughs> yeah. caught, it, it caught the buck. Now we did have some cards fill up in by July 16th on beans, um, just due to a lot of false triggers. So so learning lesson there, we're going to set those cameras for maybe either one or two shot bursts, but I think a little longer delay between those those triggers just to maybe prolong uh, the SD card. And you can run some of those Brownings in SD card management mode. And we didn't do that. And I think I'll do that going forward. So, so I keep more of my um, more recent uh, photos. Um, so that's kind of some just real quick summarizing thoughts. Yeah. So w- how many, having done that, would you blitz an area again? I mean, was this something that you were just doing for uh, the, the YouTube or do you think that you could replicate that in the future trying to isolate deer? No, that's, I mean, that's my tactic is, is, is literally just because of the failure rates. Um, you know, it was something that on one of my truck parks on, on, on this piece of public, I put out four cameras, never having to move my vehicle. Um, you know, it, and, and I've got a couple, you know, it, it's something that we've noticed too. Sometimes a trail camera, 50 to a hundred yards different, um, picks up different deer mm. um, because that trail cam is only capturing such a small, um, small section of a field or, you know, one certain trail. And, and sometimes, you know, you, you kind of do need to scatter them out. Um, we had the trail cameras and we, I knew with limited time, it's like, well, why wouldn't we put it maximum out? Like I literally, well, I have a trail camera 20 yards apart right now on a, on a farm country piece, because I've got a scrape on one side of the, uh, what I'll call like a hedgerow, which is like a 20 yard strip of timber separating fields. And then I've literally threw one on the, the other side of this hedgerow that's facing the beans. Um, and I'll be real interested to see if those, those capture different deer being 20 yards apart. One's a food source. One's a, Oh, a scrape that's there every year. My, I have a question, Byron, for you with the running the, the summer trail cam, how have you ever done any research or it seems like you're really getting into it now, but how many of those deer do you think are actually going to stick around when the season gets here? Do you feel like they're all going to still be in that same area? Do you feel like some are going to disperse new ones are going to move in? Uh, Have you factored any of that in? Yeah, I I, I definitely kind of, at least in farm country in particular, like I, I, I I would say I don't, I've got starting points, but I'm not like, emotionally attached to, to some of those bucks. And I guess I should also point out, it's not like I've got these bucks hitting the, these cameras every day. Literally the most occurrences we ever had on a shooter was two times, you know? Um, and I don't, you know, one of those is a Creek crossing deer. And one of those is a, a the scrapes seem to be a little better at, at, at getting multiple occurrences, but yeah, like there's always a shift um, that seems to occur, but I can also speak to like some big wood stuff where I have literally found sheds, summer trail cam picks and fall trail camera picks all in the same area. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't know if that's a big woods trait. Um, if I think about it, those are both the same piece of public. Uh, I don't know if maybe that's a regional thing in that area. Maybe the ecosystem allows them to stay in that block um, or stay closer to home there. But yes, Chase, I, I totally agree. Like I can only take these with a grain of salt and, and honestly, like some of these summer trail cam picks, um, you know, some of the summer trail cam prep that we're doing now, 
it's that September data that's going to be so much more important than anything else on those cameras. Like I haven't pulled my two big woods uh, pieces that I hunt. Um, so that's like 12, there's probably 14 cams out there that I, I need to pull in that area that, that hopefully I'll get to in September and maybe have a little more heart horned information because that's, that's what you want. I got to believe. Right. Yeah. I can kind of agree to that. Um, I can point to an instance where there's a piece of private that I hunt and during the summer you'll have a, maybe a ton of bucks in this one area. And then it's like, it almost seems like as soon as that velvet comes off, then more than half of those kind of disperse out and you may catch a picture of them here and there kind of throughout the season, maybe coming back to check does. And then you'll have another group of bucks that you never had on camera whatsoever during the summer kind of show up there and then they stay there the entire season. So I always kind of just like, okay, I'm the same thing that you're talking about. I'm going to summer picks. I'm going to go, okay, I've got some deer here, obviously, but I'm going to wait more till I feel like that shift occurs to really kind of go, okay, I'm pretty sure this buck is kind of using this as his core area uh, and be able to focus more on that than, than the summer picks. Yeah. Yeah. And like part of that August maintenance we just did. Yeah. We got like maybe a little bead on a few of these bucks that I just called shooters and I say don't get emotionally attached, but best believe I about jump to the moon every time I see a <laughs> um, But, but, um, you know, we did shift those cameras a little bit, um, pulled them off the beans. We um, refreshed a lot of batteries and SD cards to, to, to hopefully the thought is then, okay, when season rolls in and I'm hunting this piece, those cameras are fully operational. I've troubleshooted some of my airs. They've got SD card room. They got battery life. Um, so yeah, Chase, I feel like it does, I mean, that, that August, um, August, September, because I plan to do my big wood stuff in September. So yeah, this, this late, let's call it late summer work, trail cam work is also setting you up. I feel like for, for fall success when that information is super deadly and, and that's what, yeah, that's, 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 that's what I'm looking for. Cause all I need is a picture in the, in October. I, I only need one picture somewhere <laughs> in September, October to, to start that chase. I feel like. Right. Do you feel like on these areas that you would be able to recognize bucks from year to year? Like, do you yeah. feel like you could go, okay, I, I, that, I saw that buck here last year and he stayed kind of throughout the whole season. Like, do you feel like you have enough information to be able to go ahead and do something like that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think part of that is there's not a bunch of shooters, but like, oh, if I look at bucks that I've trail cammed and then chased in season and got like, like I give them all nicknames. I know what they look like. Like I, I got a buck sheds downstairs. The buck's called Apple Picker because uh, I took my wife apple picking the day he daylighted. Um, okay. <laughs> but uh, you know he's a he's a nine point with a forward leaning G three. Like you know like I think when you you know I, I I and then I saw that deer this year on trail cam and yeah he's he was twenty inches bigger but uh, it was no doubt that same deer. Same thing with like uh, oh just little little characteristics a uh, type tight buck with with no brow on right side like yeah they're they're I'm, i feel like the cages stay the same and 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 i'm pretty sure i can recognize them and, and honestly chase like i don't care as long as as long as he's a shooter the year i'm trying to hunt him that that's what i'm after i, I don't necessarily chase these bucks year over year i don't have that kind of experience right well what are you calling a shooter for everybody yeah, listening yeah, no, um, I would say anything kind of around that 130 mark, at least on the public here in Ohio. Um, 
that's that's going to tickle my fancy. Now, if he's 110 and he's 20 inches wide, he's going to die too. Um, <laughs> I got to think of what but, but yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, that that's kind of what I figured, that you probably would have some history with some uh, and just recognize, okay, yeah, that was a deer I had last year. More to kind of relate the trail cam thing to, because how I use trail cams a lot is the historical data, and we haven't really dived into any of that yet. Yeah, nice, nice. That's uh, that's a goal. Um, so I guess how many how many cams are you running? I know uh, I know you have a, a couple properties. You know, you you, you had a heck of a year last year. Um, how right. Many cams are you running? Uh, well, this year I've bought more just because I'm going to be tackling this large piece of public kind of where I'm at. But as far as my private areas, I may run on one of the properties. I run about seven or eight trail cams on that property. And I feel like I have a real good grasp or whatever touch on the bucks that are there, that are there the whole season. And before and on this particular pro- property, because usually in Florida, it's, it's almost kind of hard to maybe recognize bucks because you got a lot of your just like standard eight points that may be 80 to 90 inches. Um, but on this property, for some reason, I've been able to like identify the bucks like year after year uh, on this property and go, okay, this was this buck last year. This is him this year. Um, I don't feel like it's overrun with a ton of deer. And maybe that's the reason why I can where there's just not a ton of deer because the other property it's like a doe factory. It's just loaded with does. And we get so many bucks that kind of come through um, throughout the season because Florida's rut's weird to begin with. So you may have bucks passing through at all times where you may get one or two pictures of that buck and never see him again type deal. And then you may have a few that kind of stick around the property uh, the entire season. But I usually, and on that, the one where I'm running eight cameras it's probably, it's like a 400 acre piece, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it gives, I think it just that many, I probably should be running more. I know some people are like, oh, I run a camera ever, how like 80 acres or something is what I've heard before is people running. But I feel like in Florida, kind of where there's really no areas, the, the deer kind of funnel and things like that, you kind of need to run more to get a grasp on what's there. So I probably could be uh, running more cameras, but um, I feel like they've, the cameras to me there have really helped me with the historical data on the deer. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something I'll be able to speak on a lot more. I feel like, uh, oh, my buddy Jake Hofer from Exodus, he was texting me. He goes, dude, he goes, with what, because he kind of like, hey, I don't know. I pick his brain sometimes. And um, he was just texting me. He goes, he goes, I'll be, I'll be, he said something like, I'll be interested to see how you do with some historical data kind of with what you do from a mobile hunting perspective. Um, like read sign type of thing. Like, and, and honestly, like that's just, you know, if we rewind this conversation two years ago, I was like, I kind of have a hole in the bucket with the trail cam thing. And, and I'm going to try and add that to the arsenal. I think it'll, I think you'll really find about how much that actually helps you especially when you get into chasing a particular deer. Um, Because I know that I have started doing that maybe a few years ago. And you can go back. There's this particular buck that I was after last year and just had an unfortunate situation (laughs) whenever I took the shot at him. But he, I had pictures of him the year before. And he in this area, he showed up in daylight 
which I didn't really, I knew he showed up in daylight on 11 three, but I didn't really go back. I had some other pictures of him, but I didn't go back and look at a different one. But in this year, he showed up on the exact same day in the daylight in that exact same area. And I went back and looked at another picture that I had found that I'd kind of pushed to the side. And there was another day that was the same. So it was within like a four day window of where he showed up in daylight twice in the same area uh, in daylight. So I'm more like, okay, he's done that two years in a row. <laughs> so to me, that's like, okay, now I know, because I kind of maybe pressured that area a little bit too much before that, just kind of working around the area, not maybe just diving into that one spot enough. But now I'm like, okay, I've got this uh, historical data. Now I know I probably should leave that area alone for the most part until that time. You know what I mean? I was yeah. probably shouldn't dive in until then and maybe try to find him somewhere else uh, in, in the meantime to try to uh, get him before that. Yeah. You almost have a, Oh uh, yeah. You, you, you've got a meeting invite on your calendar for that time of year. <laughs> <laughs> well, the problem is for one of those days, I got him for one of those days, but the other one, I'm going to be in Iowa. So I'm almost like, Oh, oh no. Yeah, exactly. I'm crying of tears, crocodile tears. Yeah. Uh, Chase, it's funny you say that. My wife literally uh, rewind like an hour and a half ago says, Hey, fall pictures for, for, for me and the boy, um, family pictures. She said October 5th or the, or the 12th. And I snapped my head and she goes, what, what, what was that? I said, mm, fifth all day, because that buck that I have sheds off of Apple <laughs> daylight at the 13th. Um, so, so, so I will be, I will be hitting that, that piece hard. He was in there a couple of times on camera right around that, that, that second week of October. But I think, uh, I know the day he, he, he daylighted was October 13th and that deer will be a slammer if he's alive, but the trail cam also got stolen in that same area. So it's the buck, right? I think these bucks are taking your cameras from you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the raccoons, man, the raccoons that dude, they, yeah. they sabotage me. With bear here. Um, they, they'll right. jump on that mount and just send that thing to the forest floor. And you're like, how? Like, yeah. <laughs> but I've also the other thing I've kind of noticed Byron on the historical even I mean that was that time frame but I've also noticed that okay that buck is in that area at this time frame but I know where he's at late season as well like I, I know like he makes a little shift over to a different section of the property and he he daylights ever so often it's not kind of as calculated but he will make daylighted appearances on that side of uh, the property as well. So I think you can go, okay, this buck is here around this time, but then uh, come late November, he, he daylights over here some. And then you can kind of make the move instead of going, I'm just going to keep hunting this buck in the same area, uh, hoping that he, he shows back up at some point. You know, it's funny. Um, we have used it. Uh, Zoe has a small piece and trail cams actually kind of confirmed that uh, we used them almost like, oh, scouting does. Um, it was, uh, he ended up shooting a buck and we, this is like the second year in a row that, that November 3rd, his place was on fire. Um, and the trail cam, uh, like we knew that doe was probably hot, but like, obviously weren't a hundred percent sure if that, or it was the four point that was grunting was just fired up, you know, fired up four point. Um, so he shot a buck, right? So two bucks, you know, that, that could mean something, dude, we drug that, we drug Zoe's buck up, left the trail camera. We had three or th two or three other bucks come in that day. One was a giant, and it's like, 
clearly then those on that particular area or whatever they get funky on on november 3rd like it's a it's a no-brainer year over year where to go november 3rd for him right and walter and i i've kind of discussed that a little bit on the podcast before because just because florida's rut is so weird and 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 to kind of notice maybe like what i'm looking for in the summer on the cameras is the fawn drop because there'll be like different levels of fawns. Like you have your spotted fawns and then some that look like they're about to lose their spots. And then some that have already lost their spots. And I'm like, okay, well, obviously it kind of looks like maybe this area, uh, they may be rutting October and this area, these does are hot November and this area, these does are hot December. So kind of planning around that to go, okay, I'm going to focus on this area in October. I'm going to, I'll make a shift and kind of focus over here in November and then another shift, maybe December time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, to speak to that even more specifically, the place here behind my house is a, a mid January rut. That's your peak bell curve. I have on numerous cameras, deer being bred or deer still holding late enough that I've identified a very clear secondary rut mid to late February. And so for me, that factors into where I'm going because now, you know, my season runs into February. And and whereas last year I was like, I'm done. I'm exhausted. I'm gassed. The deer aren't rutting. You know, we don't have bean fields and and snow that kind of makes them predictable or anything like that. And so I just wrote off February. I I tell you this much right now, February is a rut month for me. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like my rut starts in December uh, on the east side of my county and, and runs through February on the west side of my county. So, you know, I there, there's there's just invaluable insight if you can get what you need on camera, um, w- which I, I'm curious, Byron, what are you doing to obtain useful data? Not all pictures tell you something. What are you doing to make sure that you're getting something that, that you can is actionable? Yeah, I mean, uh, I look at cameras uh, as far as actionable. Like, if you get proof of life, like we talked about the confidence boost, you will hunt harder, you will scout harder, you will go looking. You know, if you if you know there's a shooter in the area, you're you you you'll you'll spend boots on the ground there. You know, like it can definitely lead to a kill. Um, I've killed two bucks off trail cams. I feel like um, one was simple proof of life, like. I threw a camera on a new piece of public and um, it showed caliber a buck was in that area. Like that piece of public clearly could hold a good one. And then it, um, it also showed a couple two and a half year olds. And I think my buck was two and a half. Um, when I got him on, on camera, it was a uh, late December, January winter, winter trail cam pick. And all it showed me was, was proof of life. Um, you know, there was one slammer in there. So then I spent some off season scouting, you know, trying to learn that piece figure out the the blueprint of the area and um just kind of happened to catch up with that deer on october 25th on a on a hanging hunt it was actually the story we told in the podcast i was on last time um as far as data and and taking it and also applying it i have a i kind of have a rule as far as like some some simple analysis i i do especially if i get trends like multiple occurrences of a buck and all i do is i go i've got a video on this but i go to weather underground I look at just the wind direction for the, the kind of time frame he came through. I throw that in there. And then I have a scoring system. And it's uh, one point for nighttime picks, two points for, for kind of daytime picks, dawn, dusk. Um, and then I give three points for midday movement. Um, 
and, and, and you know, I got some questions to why three points. And I, I just believe one, those deer are generally not far from where they're betting. You know, if, if, if they like get up at noon and stretch their legs and boom, you get a trail cam pick on the, the kind of odd hour, the non done and du- or dawn and dusk um, midday picks. I don't think a deer is going to move around a lot in a area. He feels like um, he's not going to make a mistake midday for the most part. Obviously the rut's kind of a different story, but like, you know, they're not going to go wandering far midday, regardless of what they're doing. And so like, I really give three, three points for midday movement. Um, and I'll, I'll try and look for trends that way. I had a buck that, uh, oh, he, I had him a lot actually in the summer, and then clearly he stayed in the fall. Um, and out of all the data points, I, I think I scored 32-ish points. Like that was the total score sheet. 20-some 20, 20 of them were on winds that were west and south, and I killed that buck on a southwest wind. Now, I didn't know that buck was going to be there that day. It was just like I kind of correlated it after I shot him um and realized who it was but but you know somebody who might have been a little more in tune to that maybe historical data of that buck or or uh maybe put a little more faith in trail cameras than than i was doing back then i just said dude southwest wind i need to be hunting this particular area and this particular stand on a regular basis um you know i almost more realized the fact after if you will so do you do you move your cameras frequently uh, through that like October shift, or are you just kind of keeping them in similar areas and just relying on the deer shift themselves to provide you with that with that information? No, I definitely shift them. Um, you know, my plan here and what I've done last year is like um, if I'm hunting an area, in the, the um, there's always that farm country stuff that I do like late late August September time frame. And then the bigwood stuff I'm going to try and get to in September this year. And I will shift those that the cameras come off the bean fields. They, uh, they come off the stuff that's close to parking lots. I've got several cameras that are either on access, like, you know, easement trails and stuff like that are real obvious, but, but like, I think I can get inventory, um, as far as nighttime. I, I actually, I know that I, I've, I've had that happen enough, um, Dave just shot me a text literally today that he has to go pull a couple cameras that, that need to be shifted due to squirrel pressure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's true, man. And squirrel hunters, man, they get in that, the, those timber and, you know, if, if you're in an area with hickories and, and, um, walnuts, that's where they like to go. And, and so you, you might have a couple more squirrel hunters in that area, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a shift. And then honestly, well, like I remember if I look at last year, once I got the trail cam pick of the buck, kind of I was after. I didn't really do much shifting of my cameras after October 13th. I, I was doing more, uh, more of my hunts. You know where I'm scouting a bit. Um, still kind of letting those cameras soak and do their thing. Like it's, it's one of those things. I don't want to fall too in love with running trail cameras when I can be be hunting and looking at sign. But like I kind of want to use them in tandem. Like mm-hmm. I want to be. You know, I can pop over here, pull this camera. Oh, it's, it doesn't have any good bucks. Well, I'm not going to go speed scout that place because I've got two or three other cameras on this piece of public that I can go pull. And if I do get a, uh, a buck in that area now, maybe I go put boots to ground in that particular area because I already have a, a piece to the puzzle. Um, and if they're all blank, I just need to start walking my butt off. But like, <laughs> and, and checking trail cams, uh, Josh Prophet talks about it. When you're checking trail cameras, you're walking, you're scouting, you're looking right. at things. Um, if you would see three or four big rubs and have no big buck on camera, you should still probably hunt those three or four big rubs. 
Um, I'm not, I, you know, I feel like my, uh, I've got that. I feel like that part of my game is honed in, in enough that, that I, I could, I wouldn't necessarily need a trail cam picture to tell me to hunt. A bird in the hand is right. kind of worth two in the bush for you. If you get a photo of, of a deer, you're willing to spend a little more time there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, Chase, I've got a very controversial uh, topic that I'm going to hit him with, but I, before I, I blow up the podcast with this one, uh, you got any, <laughs> any questions you want to ask? Uh, no, man. I think we've covered it pretty thorough up to this point. Right on, right on. All right, Byron, I'm sure you're rather rather aware of where I'm going with this, but uh, yes. Boone and Crockett and Pope and Young have come out with a very clear and murky stance on cell cameras. And for anybody who's listening right now, uh, the use of cell cameras, if you are provided immediate benefit and actionable intel uh, and kill a Pope and Young or Boone and Crockett specimen, you are no longer eligible to be in their uh, record books. Byron, thoughts? I'm sorry, say that again, that last part. Am I allowed to speak my, my piece on this? Oh, yeah, 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 did. The mic is yours, my friend. What, what, what are your thoughts on cell cameras and, and, and maybe uh, Boone and Crockett's stance as a whole? So I am perfectly okay with, with kind of that statement of, of them being oh, deemed like, you know, uh, whatever their, their, their fine line print says as far as not, not eligible for entry. And, you know, I think a lot of that stems from, from I am okay with the deer winning. In, in some aspect, um, I I look at uh, what is coming with now. We have a lot of cell cams at the hundred-ish dollar mark, and and you know, in a couple years, a guy can scatter five of those on his back hundred acres and never be touching his woods until those cell cams tell him where he needs to hunt. He doesn't have to think or make a decision or potentially spook that buck or, or, or let that buck know he's being hunted. He can simply watch football on Saturdays, you know, realize that they are not daylighting. He doesn't have a hot doe. You know what? I probably should not hunt my piece tonight if I'm after Billy Big Buck. Um, I think you look at um, technology in other areas uh, such as like sports like NASCAR and golf, and they cap what the cars can do as far as at, at races to, to not perform at a certain level. They cap, um, you know, putting stupid amount of technology in a driver and a golf ball to blast it 500 yards with a terrible swing. And, and, and so I believe a, a cell cam is just such a deadly tool. And I do kind of think it's unfair when, especially now that the cost has come down so tremendously that, you know, it, it, it is that deer does not have a chance to get away um, and, and kind of be figure out that he's being hunted versus like a regular trail cam that you go and physically check. He may pick your ground son up. He may see you. He may hear you. It requires effort, time, energy to drive, to walk in, to drive your, your ATV, it all requires energy and time versus a cell cam pings you a message of your buck that you just slept overnight and know what he's doing. You know, I just, I really think when you can afford seven of these and scatter them through, through your best hundred acres, you, there's no reason you can't kill a big one. 
it's just too deadly. All right, Chase. Well, I mean, I I kind of I understand where Byron's coming from, for sure. But for Boone and Crockett, you also get to use a rifle, which can I mean, you're talking about what 300, 400 people are shooting them at almost a thousand yards. So is that fair chase? There's a lot of different things that you can say maybe aren't fair chase, like range finding sites, um, all of these other things. And I do think that people will probably use it, um, like Byron says, where if they really are affordable or that much more affordable that they may be able to do it that like that. But the deer is still, it's still an, it's still a deer. So it's still, it may not make that decision just based on you see it on trail camera and you go out and kill it that day. I kind of used an instance, well, how's that any different than if you're hunting a piece and a farmer says, hey, there's this 175-inch buck out in my field. Um, you could, He's out here right now. He's been out here 5, 10 minutes, and you live 5, 10 minutes down the road. What's to stop you from going and getting your vehicle and shooting that deer? Is that the same as that? To me, it kind of is, but it's not as much as, okay, you're getting a ton of data points Uh, on this deer but it's still kind of that same thing like you didn't put any effort into it a farmer called you and you went out into the woods and you shot a a Boone and Crockett deer Um, and as far as Boone and Crockett itself I feel like I don't even have to worry about that because I hunt Florida so the chances (laughs) of me of killing a Boone and Crockett deer are uh, slim to none I mean there's been five deer ever killed in the state of Florida that's actually in the record book that would meet Boone and Crockett standards, and they were all non-typical. Florida has zero typical bucks that could meet the Boone and Crockett um, scoring standards. So I feel like, well, I I live in Florida. I don't even have to worry about it. And I think that a lot of people are still going to run their cell cams anyways. They're just not going to be able to put it in Boone and Crockett's record books, which you still have whatever. You can still go, okay, I killed 170 or 200-inch deer. So I don't know why they want to just go, okay, it was with a cell cam. You can't be in our record book when guys from Florida can't be in your record book anyways. Mm -hmm. So I have come, like like I said, like round robin on this like four or five times. I own a stealth or a a spy point that's cell camera. I'm going to use it. Um, I don't feel guilty about using it. Um, From the abuse standpoint, I can really only speak to public land that's that's how i use them i think the private land guys got enough like control advantages that um you know if you're like the only guy hunting a thousand acre block i mean you're able to control bedding if you own it and everything um when i think about public land i think about the potential for abuse and i think that byron if you're talking about the kind of guy who's going to wait on a picture to tell him when he should go hunting when he has to put it in the right spot when he has to have you know made sure he's got cell service and all these different things. I think of a fairly unambitious person because you can't keep me out of the woods come, come deer season. I'm going to find some place to go hunting. And that camera only gives me a, a very small snips, like snapshot in time in one spot. Um, and I think it kind of creates opportunities playing devil's advocate for this. If the guys who only go 200 yards off the road or hundred yards off the road, and then they, they set up in their climber and they get down at, at you know, an hour after daylight, those, uh, those guys that come in and do that kind of thing. If you give them a way to stay out of the woods, that cr- does create opportunities for people like you and I, and I, I kind of see some advantages to that. 
The downside is when I think about, and this is kind of a unique thing to Florida, but when I think about dog hunters, I see a real potential for abuse. This is the only this is the only group that I know that has the ability to really utilize that live information and picture a world where cell cameras are ridiculously ex- uh, inexpensive, ridiculously cheap to run. We're right there on that brink as it is right now. You could have a group of guys cam up a block, set it to where it's six o'clock a.m. every every morning. It's going to tell them exactly where they got photos. They can drop those hounds right where they where they need to be to get on those deer. And mm-hmm. so I, I kind of see both worlds and I don't think we're done. Um, I don't think we're done hashing this out. I think this might become the new crossbow versus uh, compound bow like dialogue. That's probably going to dominate for the next couple of years. And I hope that we can find a way to navigate it well, because it's going to be a sticking point. And I think Boone and Crockett and Pope and Young tried to get ahead of everything. And I think they tried to give themselves uh, some leeway when it comes to the actionable part of it, right? They made it kind of vague in that if you use this immediately, or I can't remember the the wording that they used. Um, it's interesting to me how they went about wording it because if I get a cell camera photo from yesterday and I'm I'm hunting today, I don't really consider that actionable data. That's not live data. Um, but I, I don't know. It's, this is about to get sporty, I think. And I'm sure I, I ticked off probably a, a good chunk of our, our listeners with that dog hunting comment. Oh, I, yeah, yeah. I bet it's I, – I think you painted a pretty pretty, pretty um, fair point. Um, it, it, it is – you know, to get a text message of, of a buck or let's say it's, it's your rut and you got a picture of a doe looking over your shoulder – there is no doubt where you should start your your pursuit, whether by dog sure. or by foot. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, cell cams have. How long have cell cams been out now? Five, six years. Probably. Yeah, that's probably fair. Maybe probably longer. around that time. Yeah. So, are they gonna? So, is it just everyone who's already done that? They're just grandfathered in to the Boone and Crockett, and now that's, people who that's a good point aren't or can't be in there. Yeah. Because I, I know there's a, tons of people that are using them, and I guarantee you that they're in Boone and Crockett <laughs> yeah. right now yeah. and did the exact same thing we're saying you can't do anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just like scoring records, though, before the three-point line, like, you know, there's there's definitely, you know, once a once a rule is in effect, there is kind of a new standard. And, and right. I, uh, I, 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 I'd be interested, Chase, because I, I, I see – I, I, it's a very valid point. Um, I don't think you can backtrack on that though. At this point, I, mm-hmm. uh, I'll be interested to see, see what they come about. And, and if the, uh, Oh, if, if the state by state case kind of has to, to, to set their own standards by state, um, you know, if you look at what could be coming, I mean, it, it's not unthinkable to think it's, it's going to be a live stream and you're going to have, you know, these cameras that, you know, it pretty much is a live stream. Some of these cameras, you can go into the app and say, take a photo and it sends to your phone right. within minutes. Right. That's right. You, you, you know, it's, it'd be scary to sit there and think you just log onto your computer and you've got live stream of all the best pinches in, in a place or the best food sources or all the scrapes like that is, I think that's what they, they, they're going to come out with when, when we see stuff like these, the, the laser range finding sites and, and and who knows what's coming next? You know, do we get you know camouflage that is stupidly adaptable, or 
uh, suits that that actually do maybe kill your scent completely. Like I gotta think like these 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 organizations and, and the legislation bodies are gonna have to step in and say, you know what, that's just too much, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, right. I, I think it just doesn't for me. It just doesn't cross that threshold of taking away something from the deer, like you know obvious example here night vision goggles we shouldn't be hunting at night with night vision goggles because you take away cover you take away an advantage one of the reasons why i don't think i could ever really get behind ozonics or something that truly took away scent is because like you said i'm okay with that deer getting away and taking away one of its biggest defenses is that really hunting at that point you know have we have we just moved into like this cloaked existence that, you know, gives us an unfair advantage. I I don't know. I just, to me, it's just not cut and dry enough to where I feel like we can delineate like completely across the board that something is or isn't ethical right now with like what Chase said, you know, 500 yard rifle shots. Are those ethical? I don't know. Right. Well, we also got to factor in that. Is it an unfair advantage to be in Iowa versus Florida to be right. in that record? Book? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I almost wish that they would, I mean, I, I th- kind of think that they could, if they want to include more people, that it would almost be on like a state by state basis, mm-hmm. because I could go out and kill a five-year-old buck in Florida and it not make Pope and Young or Boone and Crockett. You could go kill a two-year-old in Iowa and it could make at least Pope and Young. And then there's probably some three and a half, maybe four-year-olds that are going to easily make Boone and Crockett in Iowa, where I don't have that option. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. just, it's not there. That's true. So I don't know why they don't kind of change that because if you want to include everybody and you want everybody or all these states to kind of be a part of your club, it doesn't make any sense to me. I, kn- I know they do other things other than just scoring. Sure. I mean, I know Boone and Crockett and Pope and Young, they do all kinds of stuff for a deer and conservation and things like that. But to me, if you want to include more people, like, okay, Florida has a record book that's 100 inches. So right. anything you kill over 100 inches is in our record book. So how come we can't get like Pope and Young or Boone and Crockett to kind of go on, okay, okay, we need to maybe adjust our scoring for Florida to be able to get an entry for that. Right. Well, and, and I don't think they want everybody to participate, but if you're going to, you know, the, the point of Pope and Young record books is to uh, document remarkable specimens, right? And if if that's the case, then in Florida, that's a lot different than what it is in Iowa. You know, I mean, it just, it just is. And I, I'd like to see some kind of, I'm with you, Chase. I think if they're going to delineate and start reforming things, I think a, a, a scaled approach that takes into account some kind of bell curve of what, you know, is submitted per se, um, would be a far better way of, of, of increasing participation in their organization. Cause like you said, they do more than just maintain record books, but yeah, I, I'm going to keep using mine. That's for sure. I hope you don't think less, less of me, Byron. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I I feel pretty good about it. I think uh, I think we've both made awesome points, and and yeah, I think uh, I don't know. It, it'll it will be interesting to see what the future holds. And like like Dave said, he goes when when you know if it if it comes to it, and, and there's you know fifty dollars cell cams, and guys are shooting giants all around us. We're just gonna go stick bows and shoot squirrels and and deer, and we're just gonna be hunting. We're we're, we're not even gonna be like those. It'll be a show called like Gone Hunting or something. <laughs> <laughs> non cellular, right? <laughs> yeah. Have you have we look have you looked into any of the D 
data, Byron, to see if that's the case? I mean, obviously, people are more on management side now anyways than right. they were 20, 30 years ago. But are we seeing, like, within the last five years, are we seeing a trend of, hey, they're, they killed a lot more Pope and Youngs this year and a lot more Boone and Crockett bucks than ever before? Oh, uh, no, I guess the only couple of real data I know is just hearing dudes talk that, that, that you know, get <laughs> Dave and I know a guy who hunts three days a year and, and shoots giants. And, <laughs> He worked in the hunting industry and got a hold of cell cams at, at cost oh, five years ago. And, right. uh, you know, it was, it was one of those things like, God, how is he shooting these giants? And uh, he, he literally told us he waits for a buck to do something twice, and then he goes. Yeah, right. Well, I, you know, one thought that just popped into my mind as you said that, Chase, if, more, if the data did suggest that more people were shooting Pope and Young's, wouldn't that perhaps indicate that people were being more selective? And so would, couldn't that also be another management benefit to having cell cameras that people feel empowered that they could let that 100-inch deer walk and uh, you know, target something that's older? Could that not yield a, a, an older age class of deer as a whole? Yeah, I mean, it could for maybe those areas. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, Florida, you can kill five bucks. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's true. That's true. I mean, obviously it's more, it's more nuanced, but I'm, I'm just thinking like Byron, if, if 25% of the people in your area, you know, quit shooting dinks and started trying to target the hundred, because, because let's face it, they're still not going to be as successful. If they started targeting those larger age class deer in theory, that would mean there'd be more, uh, the bell curve gets shifted further up the maturity. Wouldn't that be something that would attract you perhaps? Yeah, I guess uh, it may make them easier to know that, that a big one's there too, you know? Right. Right. But I mean, I feel like people still have to factor in like what the wind direction is, sure. what their access is. I mean, there's all kinds of things that people still have to factor in before going into uh, a stand without, uh, I mean, you could give Joe Schmo a cell cams and he go, Oh, there's a huge deer in there. And, if he's not factoring in wind and access and everything else, he's probably not going to kill that deer mm. or she. Yeah. Whoever it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not as simple as, you know, receive the photo and kill him for sure. Um, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see where this goes. You know, maybe, maybe three years from now, uh, uh, Byron comes on the podcast and says, you know what? I was wrong. Or maybe I, you know, become a bitter ginger one day and I was like I can't believe I used cell cameras it was the worst thing I ever did who knows I mean <laughs> the sky's the limit but uh Byron I, dude I, we have burned up a bunch of your time and I know that's precious with that little one that you've got so why don't you uh let everybody know what they can come to expect from the whitetail experience this fall and uh, where can they go to find you yeah, no, I appreciate the the plug, Darren. I've really enjoyed uh, talking with you guys tonight. Chase has got me fired up <laughs> as far as ready, ready to go, you know, pull some more cams and get on them. Um, but, but uh, yeah, they can definitely check out our page. We've been trying to put a, a little more video work on our YouTube as far as, um, oh, just different videos, really, like from, from, from breaking stuff down. I got a, got a video coming out this week on um, – different rope mods does a cam strap buckle work better how about a daisy chain and, and try to do some 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 testing there and um, as far as the whitetail experience we're gonna hunt let's see here kentucky for sure this year ohio public land got an illinois tag um, what nice yeah. hunt so, with kurt so, no no oh. i am uh no well maybe with with, with cody DeQuisto, but a few of those addiction guys um 
so so I may get turned loose on a on a, on a bigger piece of, of Midwest farm ground, and we'll wow. see what that looks like. I know that's going to be a learning lesson in itself. Um, nice. So yeah, yeah, it's going to be an, an exciting fall, and and you know I, I just I'm fired up now. I, I, I have to go tell my boy a, a bow hunting story here before he goes to bed. <laughs> <laughs> nice. He doesn't like the turkey ones. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Oh. Hey, well, I got to give a shout out to you, Byron, because you are doing a phenomenal job with the uh, whitetail addiction stuff that you've yeah. kind of taken over. So, I mean, that uh, content that you're putting out and everything uh, has been great thus far. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. That uh, that project pushed me as a as a video producer, um, putting together a lot more long format stuff. I don't shoot, and and uh, I appreciate those kind words and and. Uh, you know, I, I think it, I think that show was before his time. The solo filming aspect of that show, I think, is going to be popular now with with uh, kind of the general community and guys wanting to see a little more of that stuff. Yeah, man, it's awesome. As always, your company is greatly appreciated. One day we are going to share deer camp. I'm I'm excited at that idea. You know, we're we're going to start branching out and hitting states, and I can't wait to uh, to uh, track 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 a deer in, in leaves on the ground where there's 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 fall weather and cool fronts cold fronts mind you so uh w- one day we're going to get together but dude i really appreciate you taking time out your evening and i hope you have a good a, a, a good hunt season yeah you guys as well man i i pull i pull hard for you for both you guys really i, I <laughs> i've enjoyed watching uh walt kill some turkeys this spring and chase you're 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 uh probably the the, the guy i know killing the biggest bucks out of the south and uh, you got to keep Parker off your heels, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do, man. I don't feel like we're we're in a competition though. We're kind of in different areas, but yeah, yeah. No, yeah but like, dude, man, I uh, we threw you on on one of our pick'em three guys. Uh, we we discussed you as a as if if the competitions were were headed to the south, we were going to take Chase uh, on our on our squad for for that. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I appreciate that. I, I think Walt was like, hey, man, you got to listen to that podcast. Yeah. And, I, I mean, I listen to all your podcasts. It's just I may, whenever I get to them, I'm like, okay, let me listen to this. And when I heard my name, I was just like, <laughs> I can't believe these guys just threw my name out there. Oh, but, man. I mean, if you want somebody that uh, is going to work as hard as every other guy, then I'm your man no yeah. matter where it's at. So. <laughs> That's right. You show us how to get it done in Iowa this year, and we'll just be pumped up. For <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm hey, hoping. Byron, you got you got to give him a good word about taking that camera every time he goes into the woods. He bought all this equipment. I we need him. We need him to take it. Oh man, yeah, that is, that's the grind. It's, it can be ten pounds, man. But uh, let me tell you, there is nothing better. Um, and, and, and he, the shot on frame doesn't have to be there, but just some of those little things, um, it's, 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 it's a cool thing and it's a, it's, it's, it's definitely some work, but definitely, uh, uh, you become efficient. You can become efficient quick. That's it. That's it. Yep. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you taking the time guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I told you it'd be different than anything else. And I genuinely believe it was do us a favor, chase and tails nation, get out there, go find Byron's YouTube channel, subscribe, like every video he's got. And uh, until next time, more importantly, get outside and enjoy the great outdoors. I'm Will Cooper, host of hunt stands, make your mark podcast. If you haven't already download the free waypoint TV app to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from hunt stand presents anywhere anytime, and on any device. 
On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.